Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. This episode is brought to you by Marsh. John Atkinson is a senior living veteran and industry leader serving on the board of Argentum and the advisory committee of the American Seniors Housing Association. John is responsible for co-leading Marsh's senior living and LTC industry practice for the United States and Canada, and also serves as chairman of Marsh's Chicago office. Marsh is the world's leading insurance broker and risk advisor. With around 40,000 colleagues operating in more than 130 countries, Marsh serves commercial and individual clients with data-driven risk solutions and advisory services. For this episode, John spoke with me about emerging risks for senior living providers, insurance cost trends, the litigation environment, and more. Before we get to my interview with John, I'd like to take a moment to highlight the annual Senior Housing News Build Conference. In 2022, Build will take place November 9th and 10th in Chicago. Join us to hear how innovators, disruptors, and industry players are redefining development and design for a new era of senior living with fast-paced panels and plenty of time for networking. Tickets are on sale now. Learn more at seniorhousingnews.com slash events. Now here's my interview with John Atkinson. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here, Tim. Absolutely. So we've got a lot to talk about today, so we can jump right into the first question, which is, you know, we have followed your group's thought leadership and risk focus over the years, but as of this year, your team has a new home within Marsh. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the transition to Marsh and why the timing makes sense. Great, thanks. Well, first of all, thank you for following our work. We're very proud of it. And I think the way, you know, the way I've always thought about this opportunity to be, you know, in the insurance space in the senior living sector aligns kind of with my core philosophy, which is to live and work with purpose. And what we have built over the last 20 years has been really focused on helping our clients do a better job of managing risk, uh, improving quality for residents and the associates who care for them. And during COVID, we were really in the barrel with with our clients, trying to help them navigate through that, both from an operational risk and, and insurance perspective. And as COVID started to become a little bit more manageable for the industry. We felt the timing was right uh, to make a move to Marsh, primarily because of the significant uh, investment that they were making in the senior care and aging services space with respect to innovation and technology and additional tools to support our clients. So the timing seemed right once our clients were uh, in a little more manageable situation. Yeah, that makes sense. So can you describe briefly just what does your practice area do and who are the clients that you serve? Yeah, so we we partner with senior living organizations, operators, equity sources. And so most of our clients are, we have clients of all sizes, whether it's two to three locations or you know up to over 600 locations. And we work with them, uh, whether they're operators or whether they're equity sources. So we work with a couple of the, of the larger REITs as well as private equity owned operations where we build out master master programs. So our job really is to help our clients manage risk, to help drive down the cost of risk, which could be helping them reduce their claims, provide some clinical risk management consulting. And really that th- those services help our clients kind of get a hold of the issues that are of concern to underwriters. 
a lot of our clients take large retentions or self-insure parts of their risk. So they're looking for a partner that can help provide advisory services around that self-retained exposure and how to, how to drive that cost down. But the bread and butter of what we do is we're insurance brokers and we, we, our job is to work with our clients, represent them and trade on their behalf with various insurance carriers to get the best uh, fit, both from a cost and a servicing standpoint. We also, as part of the Marsh McLennan organization, work on the human capital side, on the people side of the business. So we work with our colleagues at Mercer um, and MMA that do employee benefits and, and talent and rewards, employee engagement type work uh, to support our clients in what has been obviously one of the biggest challenges, staffing and workforce. Got it. So there are obviously no shortage of risks in the senior housing business, but I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, maybe some of the emerging risks that uh, providers are facing in today's environment. Yeah, I think that it's a really good question. And everybody wants to know about the emerging risks because it's new, right? And so when we think about emerging risk, this industry is so dynamic. Think a little bit about cyber, the impact of a cyber breach on a senior living organization. How do you manage an incident? What happens if there is a ransomware attack or, or an infiltration where all of your electronic medical records are, are, are frozen. You can't communicate via email. You can't communicate sometimes via cell phone. How do you manage that incident from a preparedness standpoint? So that's, that's something that we spent some, some time on. Last week, we had our first annual Marsh Risk uh, Summit for senior living and long-term care industry. We had about 150 operators and insurance leaders and, and equity sources here in Chicago. And that, that was keyed in as one of, the, one of the top issues. The other things that we are starting to see more of a focus on is ESG. And it's coming from not only the operator side, but it's also coming from the equity side where you've got some of the larger private equity firms and obviously the public companies who are focused in on ESG right now. And, and, and that's not going to go away. So helping to work with the small to mid-sized operator uh, on issues that they're facing related to ESG has become a priority for our team um, over the last year. The problem with emerging risks is they don't displace risks that currently exist, right? They, they're additive to the sort of risk morass that, that, that our clients have to deal with. And we still are battling with uh, this you know, deteriorating litigation environment that pre-existed COVID. And we're battling with issues of class action lawsuits where, you know, actions are brought in various jurisdictions against senior living providers alleging discrimination or staffing related issues. And so we're continuing to work with our clients to navigate those kind of choppy waters as these new risks continue to evolve. That's really interesting. I guess if I can ask a quick follow-up on the ESG sure. component, obviously ESG encompasses a lot. So is there a particular category within ESG, whether it's the E, the S, or the G, or even within that, a particular category or set of initiatives that maybe present the biggest risk or the biggest challenge? Well, I think you know part of what we're dealing with, we saw happen with um, Hurricane Ian, you know, that just impacted Southwest Florida. And you start to think about climate risk and adaptation and resilience. And how do you make sure that the communities that you currently own and operate from a climate risk perspective are as protected as they possibly can? How does that inform where we develop and how we develop in the future? 
as an industry, the, the actual real estate assets. So from a climate perspective, sustainability perspective, those are issues, but also diversity, equity, equity and inclusion is a major issue for the industry mm-hmm. and as it is for many industries, including our own. And so we have clients that we're talking to about how do we develop a strong culture for uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that you can look at what's happening with Argentum, who I sit on the board of Argentum, and also ASHA, very active with ASHA. Both organizations are focusing a lot of effort, training, and collaboration with operators on the on the DEI component of ESG. So with uh, right now, I'd say climate and the DEI stuff uh, are, the, are the real issues, or not real issues, but are the ones that, that the industry is grappling with now. And I think that will continue as the equity you know, continues to become more diverse and we start to see other influences on how these organizations are managed. Uh, got it. So we are maybe coming out of the COVID era. I don't know, maybe that's debatable, but at least it's it's definitely under a, a lot greater control than it was obviously a year or two ago. So is today's risk environment different from that of the pre-COVID era? Are there effects that you're seeing relative to insurance that you think might be lasting? Well, I, I would look at that from two perspectives. One is you've got these set of macroeconomic issues that are happening. We have inflation, supply chain issues, which continue to drive up expenses for these organizations. And um, I think in some cases have put the brakes on some development as a result of increased cost of construction, increased interest rates, the workforce and staffing issues that seem to get headlines out of COVID, the great resignation or the great retirement. Um, or, or the burnout, wh- whatever you want to call it, the staffing shortages um, that became more acute d- during and out of the pandemic existed before the pandemic. And we're continuing to see our clients and work with our clients to, to navigate that challenging man- aspect of the post-pandemic world. From an insurance perspective, I think what we saw happen during the pandemic is we saw the, ins- the entire like insurance industry stop and say, oh my gosh, what, what's happening you know, from a carrier perspective? Because it impacted the property line of business because assets where there was physical damage, the virus caused the need to, to do cleanup and that sort of thing. There's a business interruption exposure for which there was not a significant amount of coverage for communicable disease uh, for business interruption. In other words, you have to have physical damage to property before you can trigger any kind of business interruption and the courts have held that the virus really has not been defined as physical damage in a lot of the jurisdictions. But the liability insurance marketplace was very concerned because of all of the headlines around what was happening in particular in skilled nursing environments. But I think everything got kind of conflated. Any sort of senior living or long-term care environment was conflated in the media and as a result, I think there was a lot of confusion on the part of the of insurance carriers as to what was really happening. And so, for example, in the senior living side of the space, independent living, assisted living, memory care, if you look at the NIC data and, and other state-by-state data, far fewer infections, far lower severity, much more of a, a care environment conducive to infection control. And the, But the insurance carriers in real time it were reacting. And so they were putting on COVID-19 exclusions. They were putting down communicable disease exclusions on liability policies. I think the first impact was April of 2020, right? So the pandemic started in March. We started to see 
renewals happening in, in April and then throughout the rest, of, the rest of that year get you know significant reaction from insurance carriers. The expected tsunami of claims really hasn't manifested itself. And so part of that, I think, is the result of some of the advocacy work that the industry was able to do. And I can talk about that in a minute. But we just haven't seen uh, the level of claim activity that, that I think some were worried about early on in the pandemic. And so that's a positive thing. And the insurance carriers on the liability side are starting to get a better understanding of how to underwrite infection control capabilities of their customers. They're looking at things like liquidity and the ability to you know, sustain increased expenses like PPE and testing and the kinds of things that happened during uh, the pandemic. But you know, for the most part, the insurance, you know, there were some carriers that stepped back and said, we're not going to be in this space anymore. And then we had some carriers getting a little bit cagey about whether COVID was covered or wasn't COVID covered. But, but right now we're in a situation where we've got a pretty good stable of insurance carriers that have been in the space for a while, stuck with the industry during the COVID crisis, made some potential modifications to their policy forms, but became capacity post-COVID as well. So we're pleased with that. And we're seeing rate reductions on the liability side rather than rate increases, which is what we were seeing actually before COVID. And then when COVID hit, you know, significant increases. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned that that tsunami of claims that everyone was fearing didn't materialize. Maybe advocacy had something to do with that. Can you talk about why you think that that tsunami did not actually materialize? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few reasons, but part of what happened immediately after we saw the the beginnings of COVID hit is Tara Clayton, one of my colleagues who is an attorney, uh, former litigator, defended assisted living and nursing homes in court and practice and private practice and was in-house. She joined our team as kind of a litigation support and, and consulting strategic advisory role. She's part of the leadership of our team. We were on the phone early in the pandemic from the very beginnings with, with uh, David, David Schles from ASHA, James Balda uh, from, the, from Argentum, Scott Tittle uh, from NCAL, uh, ACA, and Pat Malloy, who was chairman of Argentum at the time. And we had a, a couple of lobbyists and other legal experts. And we did a state-by-state state, you know, kind of trench warfare, working with various governor's offices and legislatures. We started to see executive orders providing some limited immunity to healthcare workers from claims arising out of the the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that became uh, something that we grabbed onto and we started working on a state-by-state basis to impact that. And ultimately, through the work that we did and others, we had about 40 states that had some sort of limited immunity for healthcare workers and then getting the entities covered under those immunity orders was something else that we did. There was also the PREP Act at the federal level, which we, which Argentum and ASHA and our team worked very closely with, with outside counsel to develop a strategy to go to the Trump administration and the secretary of HHS at the time and make sure that assisted living was included within the definition of covered organizations under the PREP Act, which is a federal preemption uh, for lawsuits arising out of uh, claims from uh, events surrounding a national emergency, which was declared by President Trump uh, early in, in COVID. So, or, I'm sorry, by Secretary 
Azos uh, right, right after the pandemic started. So the, the combination of the work that we did with the PREP Act and the work that we did on a state-by-state basis really created a lot of roadblocks for plaintiff's lawyers. And we're able to deflect a lot of the criticism that was editorialized in some of the, the newspapers around what was happening in these communities by talking about the fact that the people that were staffing independent living, assisted living, memory care units, and skilled nursing were heroes, just like the hospital workers were heroes. And we wanted to make sure that they were included in any of the immunity that was being provided to hospital workers and hospital organizations. And that was pretty successful. So we, we've seen some claims, but not nearly the level uh, that was anticipated when this thing started, given the dynamics of the population that we serve. Yeah, that's um, a great accomplishment and a relief for the industry, I think, not to see that level of litigation. So I know your group publishes a biannual report on claims trends for senior housing. We look forward to seeing that every time it comes out. Any hints as to what this year's report holds? It's going to be great. I think, you know, we, in our prior lives, published a report and it was heavily populated by senior living organizations. Oliver Wyman, a Marsh McLennan company, our, our sister company in Marsh, published a report as well. And that report was very insightful, but was heavily skewed by respondents who were in the skilled nursing space. What we did this year is we leveraged the capabilities that Marsh already had, which were significant, with the capabilities that our team brought to the table and with the support of Argentum, Asha, Encal, and uh, Aka, we rolled out a questionnaire and we and are in the data collection and data testing phase right now. But I can share with you this. It's going to be a significantly more robust study than either of the other ones were independently. It's going to give us the ability to provide much more insight across levels of acuity because the data set is much larger. It'll provide us with more insight as to causes of loss and uh, some mitigation strategies associated with how organizations were managing through, through, through various loss scenarios. And it'll give each senior living operator a benchmarking capability so they can benchmark themselves against other operators that have similar venues and similar levels of acuity. So like California is significantly different litigation environment than uh, Missouri than Illinois, than Florida, than Texas, right? So we we now believe we have a study that will be large enough to do some cuts that will give folks some ability to draw some insights uh, from a geographic perspective as well, because the venue influences are very dramatic on litigation outcomes. So we're excited. We expect it'll be done sometime late Q4. All right, great. Looking forward to seeing that. That sounds um, really interesting. The benchmarking especially sounds Super useful. So what are some of the main reasons clients are seeking your expertise today in 2022? Can you share some of their biggest areas of concern? Maybe they overlap with some of the emerging risks, I imagine. I like to think it's about trust and and the relationship that we've built over time. I think our clients recognize that we're in this with them and we work very hard to align ourselves with where our clients are. So Aside from being able to deliver exceptionally good outcomes from an insurance risk mitigation perspective, uh, lower premium costs are obviously an important component of what an insurance broker do. That's kind of like the union card to to, to get entry. You got to be able to do that well. But how we really try to differentiate ourselves is by attacking cost drivers 
And so we've invested a significant amount of resources as an organization in clinical risk consulting capabilities, in litigation and, and uh, claims mitigation strategies, in data and analytics that we can provide our clients so that they can know where they're having issues, where they may have either compliance or uh, loss trend issues that can be focused on. And so we're really helping them to focus in on the, on the cost drivers. But it all starts with aligning ourselves with the client. So we work very closely with Argentum, with Asha on the advocacy front. Uh, all the folks on our team are actively involved in helping to support the advocacy efforts of the, those organizations. So we contribute to their PACs. Marsh makes a significant con- contribution to the industry, uh, the Argentum advocacy funds. Uh, we work very you know, actively in lobbying policymakers where we live to help support the industry. The Provider Relief Fund was a big part of where the industry, I think, started to recognize its need to step up federal advocacy. And so we've been supporting that. I, I chair the PAC committee um, for Argentum. I'm on the public, public policy committee. I'm along with um, Corey Denman from Direct Supply. We're the only non-operator owners on the board of directors of Argentum. But part of what has fueled my continued energy to serve is this idea of purpose and what we do to help residents live in a more comfortable and a quality environment and, and the employees that take care of them. We want them to go home, not ill or not with a broken bone or a, a hurting back. And so we really try to stand shoulder to shoulder with our clients and, and, and work along those lines. And so years of building up that, that trust, I think, has given our clients a measure of a commitment to, to our team. But we have to deliver we, it's a very competitive landscape. There are good competitors in this space that that we run into that work and try to do a great job. And so we're always on our toes. All right. I've got a couple of uh, forward-looking questions as we maybe wrap up the conversation in the next few sure. minutes. So the first is, as you look ahead to 2023, what indicators or areas are you watching relative to risk and insurance? We're continuing to look at three areas. One is property insurance as it relates to climate risk and inflation. So if you, if you look at what's happened over the last 24 months, we've seen significant inflation. If you look at the trend factors in terms of construction cost inflation, there are a variety of different sources that say it's gone up 18 to 20%. So when a community or a facility or a building is impacted by a fire or a hurricane or some event, making sure that it's adequately insured and that the the client is balancing that need to get adequate replacement cost values declared with also the understanding that that increases the cost of their premiums. So as inflation rises, it does impact certain premiums. So we're watching that very carefully and helping our clients to make sure they've got a good good data and, and really good metrics around their replacement cost values. The second area I would think that I'm, that I, that concerns me is, you know, continued cyber and cyber related uh, incidents. We're seeing a lot more of them than we used to. The cost of cyber insurance has tripled over the last couple of years and, and their, you know, the ability to buy ransomware coverage, you know, that coverage to actually pay the ransom if your system is, is seized is becoming more limited. So as a, as a, as a country, uh, we need to start to really get serious about protecting our 
businesses and home homes and businesses from cyber attacks. And, you know, it, the, the insurance industry plays a part in that. And then third, I continue to be concerned about the continuing litigation environment that we're facing. And I think, you know, we're continuing to work with uh, Argentum and state affiliates on state by state immunity and tort reform that will provide the healthcare workers uh, and the organizations they work for some protection from spurious litigation and private equity funded litigation against senior care operators. It's it's becoming candidly you know, a cottage industry in and of itself. And we're not talking about really actions that are improving quality or impacting residents. It, it really is about trying to find problems where they may or may not exist. And the first action is to sue rather than try to find a, uh, a different resolution. So we're working with our clients on conflict resolution programs, um, early intervention programs, uh, and patient service organizations that will help them to be able to look at their own data and understand where they have lost trends that need to be improved and work together uh, to attack those lost trends. Those are big issues, obviously, and there are other ones that have come up in our conversation as well. So uh, in closing, I'm curious, what's your advice on what senior care providers can do to prepare for 2023 relative to insurance and managing risk? Start early. Make sure you pick a good risk advisor partner. Uh, check references. There's a lot of people that are in our industry that are in, in, that are insurance brokers and risk advisors um, that are perfectly good brokers, but don't necessarily specialize in this space. And so the investment that Marsh has made in building up a industry specialization with deep resources is really designed to help provide a better outcome for our clients. And there are other firms that we compete with out there. My question to anyone considering us is, we're happy to tell you about our story, but we'd love for you to talk to our clients because they, they're the ones that can tell you really what we've been able to accomplish together. It's not just us, it's a partnership. And I think if I were a senior living provider today, I would be looking to have a partnership with an organization that is going to be here for a long time, that's stable, and has a good track record. All right. Great advice. Uh, it was great to chat as always. Thanks for your information and, and your insights. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tim. And that does it for this episode of Transform, which was brought to you by Marsh. Once again, I'd like to highlight the annual Senior Housing News Build Conference taking place November 9th and 10th in Chicago. Join us for a fast-paced day of panels and networking focused on the future of development and design. Learn more at seniorhousingnews.com events. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening.